All right, we're in the end. This is it. The last chapter of the book of Genesis. Woo! Right? We have spent an 11 months in this book. I hope you've enjoyed it. As Joe said last week, we have enjoyed teaching it. We Listen, I believe that it's the most important book in Scripture because in it you know everything you need to know to be have a biblical worldview from the book of Genesis. It tells the entire story of where we're at and what we've been doing. And we spent the last 13 chapters in the book of Genesis talking about one guy named Joseph. And we're going to finish talking about him as well. How many of you have ever been on an extended trip away from your home and you've had to leave your home, lock it up and leave and be gone for a day, three days, five days, seven days a month? How many of you have ever had to do that, right? What's the last thing you do before you leave? You go back in and you do what? You do one more check, right? Because God forbid you forget your phone or your, or your charger, right? So you got to go back in and you got to check one time, one more time before you leave just to make sure. That's what I want to do today. I want to take one last look at the book of Genesis before we leave this chapter and leave this part of the story, right? I want to take one look before we go because I think there's things that we can learn as we leave this book on our way out. So we're going to read six verses today. So I'm going to ask you to stand out of respect for God's word. We're going to read these six verses and then we're going to walk through them. Here's what it says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father Jacob was dead, the brothers said this, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph. The brothers did. Here's what they told their dad. Your father left these instructions before he died. More than likely, that's a lie, right? Jacob probably didn't do this. They made this up. Right. And they said to Joseph, right, this is what you're to say, right? I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs that they have committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. A saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You can be seated. So we're at the end. And Jacob whose story we studied in depth, right? The father of all these 12 sons, he finally has passed away. After reuniting with his family, he's finally passed on. And now these 11 brothers are left with this fear that Joseph finally, not having to honor his dad, Jacob, is going to be left to do to them what they were afraid he was going to do all along, which is he was going to pay them back. So let's talk about a couple of truths as we leave the book of Genesis. Here's the first one. Everybody say it with me online. Deland here in Norman. Everybody say it with me. Abdicate your throne. Abdicate your throne. Right? The Bible says that Joseph was approached by his brothers with this message from their dad. Right? They didn't go. They didn't bring the message. They heard. Now they knew dad was dead. So now they... It seems like make up this message to tell Joseph, hey, don't be mean to your brothers. And let's be clear. I don't know what your childhood was like. 
I have no idea what you've gone through as a child. So I would not diminish what you've been through. But just objectively, what Jacob, what Joseph went through at the hands of his brothers, would you consider that to be evil, yes or no? Yes, it's terrible. It was a horrific thing. They wanted to kill him. Instead of killing him, they threw him in a well and sold him to a Midianite group that sold him to Egypt, right? All because he was a bratty, arrogant teenager. Imagine that, right? Right? None of us can imagine that. That's what he was. He was daddy's favorite. And out of that, his life was turned upside down because of their hatred. It was an evil, evil thing. And listen, we saw Jacob or Joseph struggle with this. Joseph, when he came face to face with his brothers, had a little fun with them, right? Had, had put some stuff in their sacks, had sort of tricked them, had thrown one of the brothers in jail. I mean, we watched Joseph struggle through this process. But to, at, at this time, on his way out, on his way out, and as we leave Genesis, here's what the Bible says he said to them. Am I in the place of God? Their fear is that he will punish them. Their fear is he will finally say, these wretched people did these terrible things to me and my dad's now gone. I don't have to honor him. I'm going to pay them back for the wrong that they did to me. And his response is, am I in the place of God? So let me ask you in Deland, online and here in Ormond, how many of you have ever had anybody do anything wrong to you? Right? Probably... Those of you that aren't participating are just upset because Florida lost. I can't help it, right? Sorry, sorry. Uh, Sorry, but that did not happen. I apologize, right? But how many of you saw that stupid Auburn-Alabama game? Yeah. How many of you hate that? Yeah. Yeah, right? Listen, the Bears get to play today and lose one more time, so let's all be glad, right? Talk about or tomorrow, that's right. Thank God I don't have to worry about that today, right? But they were convinced he was going to do something wrong to them, right? And all of, listen, no matter who you are, everybody at some level has experienced somebody doing something wrong to them. And this is the context, right? I'm, I believe that it's so important to understand the Bible and the context. These boys are afraid of retribution. And his answer to their fear is, don't be afraid Am I in the place of God? Because one of the things that I believe that we need to come face to face with, especially in 2023, is this. That when it comes to retribution, when it comes to vengeance for wrongs that are done to you, you and I have to abdicate the throne because that's not a seat we're to take. That is a seat reserved only for God in Scripture. Listen, the reality is that too many of us Listen, let me ask you this. How many of you in Deland online in here in Oregon, how many of you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Let me hear you say amen. amen. Yes, amen, right? Here's what you've said. I can't get myself to heaven. I'm not capable of it, right? I, I sat on the throne of my life and I couldn't do it. I couldn't get myself into heaven. So you've abdicated that throne to accept Jesus. But how frequently, how frequently do we take back the throne in areas we don't want to give God authority in? It's not just in this context, right? We're going to study it in this context, but just in general. How many times do you say, God, I can't get myself to heaven. I'm not capable of it. I need Jesus. I'm going to come to church and I'm going to sing songs and I'm going to worship my Savior. But 
Listen, don't ask me to abdicate the throne when it comes to my money. That's my money. Don't ask me to abdicate my throne when it comes to my choices of sexuality and what I will or won't do inside and outside of marriage. Don't ask me, right? We often struggle. Listen, let's be honest. We all struggle at times abdicating the throne when it comes to am I in the place of God? But specifically, what about people that have wronged you? What do you do when it comes to how you respond when people wrong you? And listen, we all know it. We all know the feeling of being on that side of the equation. Listen to scripture. Romans 12 says this. Don't repay anyone. Everybody say anyone. Right? Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, right? Live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge. Pretty straightforward. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, what's written? It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. How about this verse? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. How about Psalm 94.1? O Lord, the God who avenges, O God who avenges, shine forth. How about Proverbs? Proverbs says, do not say this to yourselves, I'll pay back, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Nahum, the prophet, said this, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his enemies, maintains his wrath against his enemies. And how about Peter? Peter said this, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but instead return it with blessing because to this you were called so that you and I may inherit a blessing. Should I go on? Listen, I could point to a scripture almost in every book of the Bible that will tell you the same thing. When it comes to you and I returning retribution, paying back the wrongs, that's God's domain, his throne and not ours. And listen, there are just, there are just too many marriages that could be fixed if somebody just stopped doing this. Because listen, we're all going to do wrong. Can we just admit that? We're all going to do wrong. Can we just admit that? Yes, church. Yes, we all do wrong. The last thing that you and I need is to be a part of a community that constantly pays us back for our wrongs. Listen, does God pay you back for your wrongs? No, he forgives. How many of them? All of them. And our life is to be reflective of that. Listen, Joseph. Listen, Joseph had every right at a human level to pay these brothers back. They were wretched to him, all because of their petty jealousy. And yet, he said, am I in the place of God? And listen, on a micro level, on a, on a, on a small scale level, your family, right? Your situation, each one of you has to deal with this, right? Because at the end of the day, every person sitting in here, watching online, sitting in the land is going to face people that do them wrong. The question is, what will you do? Biblically, the response is you abdicate your throne. It is not yours to take vengeance. It is God's job to do just that. Our job, listen, if you love Jesus in here this morning, if you love him online and in the land, let me hear you say, amen. 
Your job is to reflect that. Which is why Peter said our job is to repay evil with a blessing. Insult with a blessing. Why? To this we were called. Listen, you abdicated your throne to get to heaven. Don't take it back just because you want to exact some revenge or justice. Listen, it is 100% possible to be right and act wrong at the same time. Joseph was right. These people were wrong. He didn't do anything that deserved what they did to him. But he said this, it's not my place to pay you back. That's God's domain and not mine. My prayer is that you and I will learn to be a part of community that will employ that on a micro level. Let's talk about it on a macro level. Listen, we live in a world today where there's lots of wrongs that are being carried out. Tons of injustices that are being carried out. And it is, listen, it has become not just a temptation. It has become an absolute hurdle for Christian people to get over when it comes to repaying evil for some of the evil that's being done in the name of whatever, right? In the name of evil from our, from our governments, right? And our schools and our school boards. Listen, it is 100% possible for us to feel wrong and respond to that wrong. Listen, I beg you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, understand this. When it comes to exacting justice and revenge and repaying people for wrong, abdicate your throne because that is the Lord's domain. God will avenge. Wait for the Lord. Make room for his wrath. He will deal with his enemies. Instead, repay those things with blessing. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. He just boiled it down. He said, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, read it with me, church. Your father will not forgive your sins. It just doesn't get any simpler than that, does it? Listen, the Bible is clear. When it comes to vengeance, when it comes to justice, when it comes to paying back wrong, the question you and I have to ask is, am I going to act like God or am I going to let God have his domain? Here's the second thing I think we can learn on the way out of the book of Genesis, and that is this, adjust your taste. Listen, one of the good things about growing up poor was we didn't, we didn't have a lot of food choices. So my palate, my palate grew up very finicky, right? Not, not because I was snooty, but just because that's what I grew up eating. I grew up eating cereal. I could have eaten cereal three meals a day. Loved it. Anybody else like cereal, right? Like I haven't had a bowl of cereal now in almost five years. It's killing me, right? But I used to eat it all the time. Meat and potatoes. That was pretty much it. Right? Throw in an egg and I was satisfied. Right? And then this sandwich changed my life forever. Right? This is an Arby's roast. This is an Arby's turkey bacon ranch sandwich. Right? So about 13 years ago, I was driving up to Georgia to take my niece, my sister's child, back to her mother. And my wife was with me. And we were at, we weren't in a very good place in our marriage. Right? And for all the years that we'd married up to that time, which was 21, I was a finicky person, right? When I ordered a sandwich, she would say, hey, what do you want on it? I'd say, I don't want any lettuce, tomato, or onion, right? Or pickle. Just don't put that stuff on it. She would order it with lettuce, tomato, pickle, and onion on it. And then she'd bring it home and she goes, you could just pick it off, right? <laughs> 20 years I put up with that, right? So, so... 
we were driving up to Georgia. We weren't in a very good place. We stopped to get Gabby something to eat at an Arby's. It was a gas station at an Arby's, right? Why not? She said, what do you, she said, what do you want? She said it just like that, right? And I said, I don't care. Just get whatever you want. And I said it just like that. And this woman, after 21 years of being married to me and knowing what I like and don't like, walked out with a sandwich for me with lettuce, tomato, pickle, and onion. And I thought to myself, this woman came to play, right? She, she was, she was, she was serious. And I wasn't about to give in. So I ate it. And here's what I found out. Where have I been my whole life? Right? That was the best sandwich I've ever eaten. Now, now I didn't tell her that. Right? I didn't tell her that, but I could not believe. And ever since that, listen, I have now eaten bone marrow in Africa. I've had snails on a cruise. I've eaten oxtail, right? I went to a restaurant in St. Louis that had fried calf brain sandwiches. Listen, don't knock it till you tried it, right? I've had beef tongue, tripe. Listen, I'll try anything. Now listen, everybody should have some taste. Nobody should ever eat a cucumber, okay? Those things are disgusting, okay? Ever, right? But once my taste, listen, once my taste changed, the whole world opened up to me. I think one of the lessons we can learn here is that maybe your taste and my taste need to change. Listen, here's what Joseph said to his brothers, right? He said to them, you meant this for evil. Now let's be clear. Was what they did evil, yes or no? Yes, that was their whole intent. Their intent was to hurt him. They meant it for evil, but listen to this. Joseph said, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. Here's the verse in Romans 8. Romans 8 says this, and we know that in all, in the Greek, that word means each and every. So not just all, but each and everything you go through, each and everything I go through, God is at work for the what? Good of those who love him. You read the rest of it. I'm going to take a drink. Thank you. Listen, that story made me dry mouth for that sandwich. Right? You've been called according to his purpose. Now in the Greek, there are two words for good. There's the word kalos, which means outwardly good, beautiful, right? Appealing to the eye. We measure many things in life this way, right? The way we look, right? The clothes we wear, the way our hair looks, right? We measure a lot of things by, in, by outward beauty. That's not the word that Paul uses here. Paul uses the Greek word agathos, which means in, intrinsically good. Actually, the word means to benefit, to be beneficial, right? So the word, bring that verse back up. So Paul says... For God, and we know that in each and everything, God is at work for the benefit of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Listen, I've raised five children. And I've wrestled more than my fair share of children to the ground to give them medicine they didn't want. Right? There are things that are beneficial for us that may not be appealing to the eye. Yes or no? Listen, how else can you explain Brussels sprouts to me? 
Listen, might be the ugliest thing that God ever created and we still eat it. Why? Because people say, it's good for you, right? Listen, unless you boil it, mash it, cover it in Parmesan and bake it, it is not good, okay? But there are things in the world that are good for us, beneficial for us, but they're unappealing. And see, here's what's happened in our world today is in faith. We don't want anything that's not appealing for us. I don't want to take that job. Why? Well, because I just don't think it's good for me. Right? I don't think God wants me to have that job because to take that job, I'll have to take a pay cut. I don't want to, I don't think I should, I don't think I should move here. I don't think I should do this because why? Because it's not going to be good for me. We measure how many things in our life based upon our taste of what we think is good. Listen, let's be clear about something. When God is at work, he is working each and everything for your benefit and not everything for your benefit is going to be appealing to you. Somebody say amen. Listen, the Bible says that Joseph said, you meant this for evil. God meant this for good. Meaning there are some things that will enter into your life from an evil intent, from a bad place. And they still are things that God can use for your what? For your benefit, for your good. Right? Listen, here's what Paul says. This is how adamant Paul is about this word. He says in Romans 12, 9, you and I, love must be sincere. We should hate what is evil. Now you know it's going to be the opposite. What's the opposite? Cling to what is good, beneficial, agathos. What we need to hate is what is evil, what is not beneficial, but what we need to cling to. That word cling in the Greek means glue, right? You should hold on like grim death to the things in your life that are beneficial for you. Which is why in January, the gyms will be full of people. And why February, most people will quit. Why? Because we're not good at adjusting our taste to taking in things that are always beneficial for us. But man, we love things that are appealing to us. We love things that are good. Oh, they taste good. They feel good. They look good. We want those things. And too many of us have equated God with those good things. Listen, does God love you? Yes or no? Does God want good things for you? Yes, but not all the things that are good are going to look peeling. Some of them are going to look like bushel spouts. Some of the things that God might want you to endure are going to look like a Brussels sprout. Are you going to be in a place like Joseph was where you can say, hey, this came at me because it was for evil, but God's going to turn this into my benefit. Because God does each and everything. And maybe for some of you, this is the verse that applies when it comes to this. Everything is permissible. Listen, if you know Jesus in the land online in Norman, let me hear you say amen. How many of your sins are forgiven? Come on, say it, church. All of them. Listen, nothing that we do is held accountable to us because of Jesus. But here's what he says. Just because it's permissible does not mean it's what? Beneficial. Listen, some of you think because of it's because it's Jesus and our sins are forgiven. Listen, I've been to church. I've heard Pastor Court preach. He says over and over and over again, right? God's grace forgives us. We're forgiven of all of our sins. Everything is permissible. But you're forgetting the second part. Not everything is for your benefit. I mean, how many of you watching online in Deland and in Norman right now are doing things that just aren't beneficial for you? 
Just because it looks good, feels good, you think it's good, and you've acquainted God with it does not mean it's beneficial to your faith. And here's the problem. The problem is, this is all that God's at work doing. Look at what Paul says in Philippians, just to give you an idea how serious God is about your benefit and mine. I thank my God every time I remember you, Paul says. In all my prayers for all of you, I am always praying with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first days until now. And Paul says, I am confident of this. What's he confident of? That he, that is God, who began this, what? Agathos, this beneficial work in you. What's he going to do? He's going to carry it on to what? Completion until the day that Jesus returns. Listen, let's be clear about what God's doing in your life and in mine. God is going to start a beneficial work in you. And when he starts that work, the Bible assures you that he is going to complete that work until the day that Jesus returns. That should give you some confidence and some hope, church. Somebody say amen. But listen, if you want to choose a life that doesn't have beneficial things and God's at work to do nothing but beneficial things, you're going to be at odds. Listen, how many of you have raised children and you've said to your kids, listen, you may not like this, but this is good for you, right? We said that. How many of your parents said that to you, right? We know the concept. There are things that are beneficial for us, but they're not, they're not appealing to us. God wants what's beneficial for your life. God wants to work that. And God is going to work that until Jesus returns. If you're living a life that is permissible but not beneficial, I can tell you right now that you and God are at odds and you're going to have some hard time. Listen, when my kids fought me on what was beneficial, they ended up a lot more disappointed than I did. And if you're living a life... Because you're only looking for the good, the beautiful, the things we can post on social media that other people can see. If that's the life that you're constantly focused on and you're only focused on outwardly appealing things that are good, then you're going to have a fight with God. Because God is good with what other people mean for evil because he can make it for your benefit. Listen, there are things, listen, I'm a father. I've got five kids. My youngest is 20. She left Thanksgiving night to drive over to Tampa. And that's a two-hour-plus drive through Orlando, right? And every time she leaves, right, I stand in the park lot as she drives off, you know, crying because I'm a sap and I love her. But my prayer is, for God, please deliver her safely back to her apartment. And listen, I don't want to hear this nonsense about, oh, we shouldn't pray about that stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Listen, my God says I should bring all of my prayers and supplications to him. Amen, church? Nothing wrong with praying for your children's safety. Anybody tells you that, just walk away. They're dumb, right? Right? Listen, the, I prayed for that because the last thing I want to hear is a phone call an hour and 15 minutes into that drive where I get a phone call telling me that my daughter's been in a wreck and she's been rushed to a hospital. My son drove home from Ohio yesterday with his wife and my granddaughter, right? They drove four and a half hours last night in what is arguably one of the busiest days on the road in the United States of America, Saturday after Thanksgiving. And I prayed, God, please deliver them safely. Because listen, I don't want a phone call that says they've been in Iraq and that my son has passed away or my daughter-in-law has passed away or my granddaughter has been taken from me. I do not want what is evil. 
to be used by God for good. I don't want that for you. But let's be clear. What people or what the world might mean for evil, God can still use for our benefit. We've got to learn to become people that aren't so adverse to all of these things that the world happens. Listen, Jesus said this, John 16, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world, you're not going to get peace. You're going to get what? You're going to get trouble. In this world, you're going to get trouble. It doesn't matter who you are, how much money you have, what your name is, where you live. It doesn't matter about the color of your skin or your upbringing. Everybody's going to have trouble. Can I get a yes, church? We're going to have trouble, right? But Jesus said this, or James said this in James chapter 1. He said, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good, every beneficial, every beneficial, every beneficial and perfect gift is from above. Listen, God uses Brussels sprouts for our benefit. There are Brussels sprouts. And listen, for those of you that love Brussels sprouts, don't email me and say, oh, listen. Don't do it. I eat Brussels sprouts. I hate them. But you get the point. Okay? Don't make me take a poll and prove that I'm right. Okay? Listen. There are things in our lives that just aren't appealing. But Joseph said, you might have meant this for evil. But God's going to mean it for good. Now, let me close this thing down as we, as we wrap up. Let's make this back to the personal level. How many of you in the land, online, how many of you have ever been wronged? Let me, let me see it by show of hands. Been wronged? Yeah. Okay. How many of you appreciated and enjoyed that experience? Right? Very few. Right? We don't like to be wronged. But in the context, this is what is going on. Now, let's be clear. If you're going through a wrong, listen, you, it, it might be a marriage wrong. Maybe your spouse is packed up and left. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe your spouse cheated on you. Maybe you're, maybe you're a person that's been on the end of verbal, mental, or physical abuse, right? Maybe you got fired unjustly. Maybe people lied and, and made you the scapegoat, right? You, you know the scenario of your wrong, right? It is that context that we're talking about. And here's what Joseph said. First of all, am I in God's place? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And the church said, amen. Right? Secondly, Joseph said, you meant this for evil. What evil? You meant throwing me in the pit and selling me for evil, but God meant it for good. Now, let's be clear. When it comes to your hurt and your pain, we don't say this. I don't say this to minimize your pain. I say this to maximize the truth of God's word and the truth of God is word. No matter what pain you're going through right now, no matter what hurt has been given to you, God can use it for good. Somebody say amen. God can use it for good and not just use it. Here's the third thing. Right? Align your truth. Right? So I'm 59. I went to counseling for the first time in my life at 54, maybe 55. I don't remember how long ago it was. Um, and I lived my life based upon this truth. I was the one, I was one of four siblings. And my dad was, he was jacked up. He was weird. Okay? He was angry. He was almost bipolar at times in his emotional state. It was a, it was a, it was a difficult childhood. I lived my life based upon this truth that I was by far the most well-adjusted of our four siblings. I thought they were all messed up and I was incredibly healthy, right? 
And I've been counseling people in ministry for 30 plus years, right? About four and a half years ago, five years ago, situations arose that sort of forced me to go into counseling. I went in there and I said to the guy, listen, I'm not interested in you hearing me tell you my story because one, I could lie to you and you won't know the difference. And if I do tell you the truth, how do I know you're even going to figure it out, right? I said, I need you to give me some objective measurements as to, as to what you hear when I answer these questions. And so that's what we did. And he did a great job. And here's what I found. I, I had to leave that office after the third session and I had to, I had to do this. I had to align a truth in my life that I had built my life around for most of my adult life. And when I left the the office that day, I don't think I've ever been so angry in my entire life. Because at 54, there's nothing more frustrating than to find out a truth that you had believed was true for 30 plus years was actually wrong. Like when you have to align a truth because the truth that you thought was truth was wrong, that's a painful experience, yes or no? It's hard. And that was a, listen, I left, I left the office that day and I drove in my car for several hours before coming home because I was just furious because it's a complicated thing. I think the last lesson that we have in the book of Genesis is this idea of aligning our truth. And I think it's appropriate for 2023, right? Because we live in, listen, you're watching what's happening to the nation that I live in and that you live in just like I am. Are you happy with the way our nation's going? No, we hate it. We hate it, right? And listen, so many Christian people are 100% in belief that that our, our nation, our nation would be better if it had different leaders running it. Yes or no? Of course, right? We believe that, right? And listen, for the last six, Seven, eight years, there has been a ton of vitriol and hatred spewed out of the mouths and on social media accounts of Christian people bashing, bashing what's happening in our nation and bashing the people that are doing it. You've seen it. I've heard it. I've seen it. Listen, here's what Joseph said. You people perpetrated evil, meant. That Hebrew word means to weave, to fabricate, right? It's the, it, 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 is, it is the process of creating, right? Joseph's brothers were perpetrating evil against Joseph. It was their plan. It was their desire. It was their heart. And they carried it out and it was evil. Yes, church, it was evil. But the Bible says that while they were fabricating their plan, the same word, Meant while you were fabricating it, God was fabricating the same action for what? For good. I think maybe we've forgotten this truth that in spite of the actions of evil men, God is still sovereign. He is still able to work all this for good. Joseph didn't panic when Jacob died. Joseph didn't panic to pay back these people because here's what he knew to be true. You might have perpetrated evil, but my God is sovereign. And he used the same action of evil for what? For good. Listen to the psalmist. The psalmist says it. Psalm 105 says, give thanks to the Lord, call in his name, make known among the nations what God has done. You see, he is the Lord, our God, and his judgments are in all the earth. 
It says when Israel were but few in number, few indeed and strangers in the land, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed, God allowed no one to oppress them for their sake. God rebuked kings. He said, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Listen to this. God called down the famine on the land. The famine that we read about in the book of Genesis that drove all of this, God called it down. God is the one that created the famine that drove those people to Egypt and destroyed all the supplies of food. Listen to what he did next. And then God, God sent, everybody say sent. God sent a man before them. Wait a minute. I thought it was Joseph's brothers that sold him to the Midianites. And then they sold him to Potiphar. And then he threw him into jail. And that's what got him before Pharaoh. Oh, that's what happened at the human level. What happened at the God level was God was busy sending a man before them. His name happened to be Joseph. Sold as a slave. You see, isn't it amazing? That in the midst of evil, God is still sovereign. In the midst of evil, God is still sovereign. I think one of the greatest lessons of this book is this. That we get so focused on what other people do as evil. That we act as if God isn't sovereign over evil men. Let's be clear. God is sovereign over evil men. These people perpetrated evil. But the psalmist said, what was God busy doing? God was causing the famine and sending Joseph. So who actually did the work? Listen to what Proverbs says. Proverbs says this, in his heart, a man can plan his course. Anybody in their heart plan their course? Yes or no? Of course you have, right? Everybody read it with me. But the Lord, listen, we can make plans, but let's be clear. Our God is sovereign over all. And listen, we may not like this, especially in the world we live in. Listen, I hate what's happening in my nation. You hate what's happening to your nation. But maybe it's time for us to understand that instead of panicking, instead of paying back evil with evil and insult with insult, maybe we take a breath and we understand that in spite of the evil that's happening in our nation, our God is still in charge of evil men. Our God is still able to work it for good. And let me just prove it to you. How many in here know Jesus as your Lord and Savior to land online? Let me hear you say amen. amen. Do you realize if God wasn't sovereign over sinful men, we wouldn't have a Savior? Listen to what Acts 4 says. Acts 4 says, on their release, Peter and John went to their own people and they told them all that the chief priests had said and done to them. Right? They'd been arrested. They they told them what had happened. Right? It says that when the disciples heard this, they raised their voices together and they prayed to God. Listen to their prayer. Sovereign Lord. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that's in it. You spoke through the Holy Spirit, right, by the by the mouth of your servant David. Now they quote David in their prayer. David says, Why do the nations rage? And why do people plot in vain? Right? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed. Does that sound familiar to your church? Yes or no? Of course it does. That's what's happening in our nation. The nations are raging. The people are gathering. Right? And they're taking their stand against God and his anointed one, Jesus. Right? David spoke this thousands of years ago. And look what it says. Herod and Pontius Pilate, these two people met together as if they were in charge of the outcome of Jesus' life. They spoke to the Gentiles, it says, and to the people of Israel, and they did it, why? To conspire against Jesus. That was their plan. But look what the next verse says. It says, those people simply did what your power 
and what your will had already decided beforehand should happen. Is God sovereign over evil people? Is God sovereign over evil people? Yes, is God sovereign over the actions of evil people? Of course he is. If God is sovereign over actions of evil people, then the people who trust in God should trust in God instead of panicking. Because if God is able to take the evil intent of Joseph's brothers and weave it and fabricate it for good. If God is able to take the arrogance and the insolence of Pontius Pilate and Herod and the people who cried out, crucify him. If God is able to take the actions of those people, the evil intent of their actions and be sovereign. God is able to be sovereign over the nation that you and I live in today that is swirling down the drain. Because our God is sovereign over the actions of evil men. You see, what other people might mean for evil, God can mean for good. And why did God do it? Joseph said, here's the reason why God did it. For the saving of many lives. Do you have any idea how many thousands upon tens of thousands of people have found their way back to church or to church for the first time because of what's happening in our nation? People who would have never walked into a church are now walking into churches because they hate what's happening in our nation. Do you think, do you think that our God is sovereign enough in spite of what is happening in our nation? Do you think our God is sovereign enough to use that for good? Yes or no? Of course he is. Our church attendance has grown 400 over the last year. 400 people. We started and hosted a school for Faith Academy. Our Chad home group is growing. And it's not just growing with Christian families. It's people that don't know Jesus that are coming. We're seeing thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people finding their way in this darkness because they're looking for hope. Do you think God is sovereign over the actions of evil men? Yes or no? Of course he is. Instead of being insult for insult and evil for evil at a micro level and at a macro level, let's become the kind of people that learn on the way out the door. That when it comes to vengeance, that's not your throne. That is God's throne. And no matter how personal the attack is, no matter how bad the wrong is, when it comes to paying back evil for evil, that is not your seat or mine. And that when it comes to adjusting what I think is good, in God's eyes for me, maybe it's time for you and I to eat some Brussels sprouts. Because maybe there are just some things in your life that are going to be beneficial for you that might not be appealing. And listen, I hate preaching this stuff. Because I preach it with such vi- vigor and vi- I just feel like God's waiting for me to get done with the four service and go, okay God, Cord, let's just try this out. I don't like saying that kind of stuff because it sometimes is terrifying. But it's true. It's true. And at the end of the day, we have one job. Our job is the saving of many lives. And I believe in a God who is sovereign even. And no matter who's in the White House. And no matter what's being said by blinded eyes and deaf ears and darkened hearts. My God is sovereign over the actions of good men and evil men, and all of it is for the saving of many lives. Amen, church. So listen, we're not going to close with a song today. We're going to close with the scripture. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to say this together.
as we leave today. As we leave the book of Genesis and as we leave this place, let's read what Peter says in summary of all of this. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And all God's people said, so Father, today I thank you for your word. Grateful for this church, for people online, and for those folks in the land. Lord, grateful that you love us, that you sent your son for us. I am grateful that you are sovereign over the actions of sinful men. Father, I'm grateful that we live in this time. Because in this time, there is such an opportunity for the message of Jesus. God, help us to live as people who trust in that God who's sovereign over the actions of evil people so we can say they may have meant it for evil, but God, you meant it for good. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.